0: Welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined as always by Joe Chung from As the Joe Flies and Disney Deciphered. Joe, good to see you on this fine Labor Day. I I assume school isn't in session, so I appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk to me and everybody else.
1: Yeah, that's correct. And this is a audio medium, although if you want to check out Sean's face, you can check him out on youtube.com slash miles to memories for the MTM Vegas show. But I see you are sporting some
0: miles to memories merch. I don't, I don't know if I've seen you wear this before. It looks pretty good. Actually, I did have several shirts made and this one was a mistake because it had the logo in black and it was supposed to be white. And I just threw it in my closet and never wore it. So I just popped it out today. So yeah, that, that's It looks what nice it is. with the black. I don't know. Maybe you should. Yeah, no. What's well, the old logo though? We have a new logo now. So that's I got to get that's new true. shirts made. So It's uh, retro it's... though. You know, you can
1: keep them yeah. all and then you can sell them as like retro shirts later.
0: Yeah. I need to make a family around the world retro shirt with my old family around the world logo. That would be fun. Uh, for, for the one person that's a big enough fan of Miles to Memories to want to uh, wait. Wanna buy it. No, no, no. Bring back the Green Bay Packers blog logo. You got to bring that one back. Yeah. Members.aol.com forward slash pack forward slash something. Uh, that was my Packers site that I designed. You can find it on the Wayback Machine. Uh, that was a Packers site I had back when I was a teenager. One of the best fan sites for the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. Vegas at least. And and we have not uh, talked sports on here for a while,
1: but I got to say, Sean, hard knocks on, on Max or whatever, you know, I it's still HBO to me, but they are really trying to make me like Aaron Rodgers sean but i'm resisting like i know better i saw what he did to you and your franchise you know and he's he's all smiles and being a nice guy and honestly he has seemed like a pretty positive for the jets culture so far but i'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop i am randy quaid in major league just i'm gonna keep booing unless we make the super bowl
0: aaron who i'm not i'm not aware of this person exactly (laughs) exactly So, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting year for football. I, I, you know, as a Packers fan, I'm a little nervous, but we'll see how it all turns out. But you got to rebuild sometime. Right. And we've had such a great run. And hopefully our new quarterback will be wonderful. Mr. Love. Yeah. The Jets been rebuilding for 40 years. So, you know, you got to you got (laughs) to start sometime. Yeah, I feel like a lot of Packers fans who kind of grew up, maybe even younger than me. Well, I started, I became a Packers fan because of Brett Favre. The year he became a starter, and that was really the beginning of the, you know, renaissance of the Green Bay Packers after 20, 30 years of being terrible. So anybody who's like me or younger and started, you know, rooting for the Packers anytime after that, we really haven't had a big run of bad seasons. So we're just hoping that we can pull three Hall of Fame quarterbacks in a row and we'll see how that all goes. But yeah, everything going good for your Labor Day weekend. Here in Vegas, we had crazy rain, lots of flooding. If you were on social media and saw anything related to it, I think nationwide people were seeing it. And I got stuck in storms a couple of days. Ended up having to like shelter in Home Depot during one of the storms. And it was crazy, but the weather was fantastic. If you were in Vegas this weekend, like I woke up this morning, Joe, and it was 70 degrees. And that just doesn't happen, even in early September. So I'm happy after we just. Died this summer, being at home for some good temperatures. Heading to Vancouver this weekend for the MTM Diamond Meetup. Looking forward to that. Should be beautiful weather there, and Vancouver is one of my favorite cities in the world. I've only been there a couple times, but it has just this very like international flavor. The geography of downtown Vancouver is very interesting. Beautiful place with the water. I can't wait to get back and you know share that experience with other miles and points crazies this weekend. So I'm looking forward to that. Flying Air Canada there. I couldn't get a, like a saver award, kind of hurt me. So I got a direct flight on Air Canada, but it was like 20,000 uh, aeroplan I think, but in first class, which was actually cheaper than the, the economy award. I was feeling a little guilty about that. Do you, do you feel guilty when you over redeem? It seems like a flight to Vancouver shouldn't cost me 20,000 miles, but first class, I think it's probably okay. Yeah, that's what, two-hour flight for you? Uh, Closer to three, like two and a half, I think. Yeah, that's not too bad then. And um, yeah,
1: I do like it when, yes, I I guess I do feel bad, but it always feels better when it's like in first class instead of, even when sometimes you're in these weird situations. I mean, sometimes it's like really bizarre and like economy is 21,000 and first class is 20. But even when it's like economy is like 18.5 and first class is like 20, I'm like especially, you know, you're going for, you're going for business ostensibly. Well, actually, and also ostensibly. So it's like spend the extra 1.5 K or whatever it ended up being. But you know, I think 20,000 for first class is not too bad, especially buying it last minute and then aeroplan is another, although you may have transferred membership rewards over, but I find it's always a program where I am afraid that I'm going to have orphan miles there because it's not going to be the first program that I use. So I think good on you for using them, even if it was a transfer. And so you got to get there and why not get there in style?
0: Yeah, and it was a good deal. I forget the cash price, but I think it was over three cents per point or something like that. And the economy was 27000 for this particular flight, which was insane. Oh, Coming huge back, win then. Huge. Yeah, yeah. Coming back, I and the timing worked. This was the flight, the best flight for me to take. As far as timing goes, it's an early Friday flight, so I don't have to go in early. I can get there early enough on Friday to do what I need to do. So that works good. Coming back, I'm flying Economy on Air Canada. Again, the best timing for me, but the, the saver award was a little bit better, I think, at like 12,000 aeroplanes. So I did that, and then I paid like 20 bucks for an, an exit row seat, which I know people out there, the travel hackers, are getting triggered by that but I've learned over the years that if I want to guarantee a seat, I'd rather pay a little bit and the price was really reasonable to get the exit row seat. I used to back in the day when I didn't care as much, I would used to like walk up to the gate agent and often be able to get an exit row seat without paying. And that's a great trick if you want to do that. But in this case, I want to guarantee that I'll have it. And I did that. So looking forward to that. And I haven't flown Air Canada in a while. Every time I've flown Air Canada, it has been a disaster. I always, like in my mind, think Air Canada is this great airline, and in reality, it hasn't been the case in the past, but I'm hoping that all goes well and I can praise them once again, so I'm looking forward to that. I did want to talk about, real quick, just want to thank everybody who reached out after the last show with some positive feedback for what I talked about and continue to make this community positive. It was really nice to hear from everybody and to hear what your perspectives were, and several of you reached out to me, and I appreciate that uh, tremendously so also Joe I was checking my carnival account and I don't get free offers right now or I haven't been Uh, we were strategically trying to continue our carnival free offer stuff you know rolling them over gambling a specific amount and then getting offers and that worked for a while I think we did six free carnival cruises that seems to have dried up which is unfortunate our Norway strategy didn't work for us so far but we do have these last minute cruise offers for free where basically they're trying to fill up the ships, So they send these offers out to people. I, I guess they're lowest tier people. I That's where I'm assuming we are. But this was cool. I looked yesterday and the 30-day Alaska plus Trans-Pacific from Seattle ending in Brisbane, and it goes to Japan, it goes to Indonesia. Like I said, Alaska, you get a cruise across the Pacific for free. And I said uh, in the Diamond Slack, I said, this is either... A huge deal or a big nightmare, depending on who you're talking to.
1: Yeah, 30 days is a lot, even for free. And it makes me wonder, I mean, I'm guessing that they're assuming that you're going to gamble or spend, you know, money on the ship. But th- I feel like even for a avid cruiser like yourself, 30 days seems like a lot to be on a ship, period. I think the transatlantics, transpacifics, you know, Typically, they're like 12-14 days each. Those are already long. But this is kind of stringing two together. So I think it's a nightmare. I'm sure people enjoy it. The other thing is, I don't know, Carnival for 30 days. I know that, you know, there are some Carnival ships are better than others and it gets a bad rep. But still, it's not like you're on a luxury uh, cruise liner for 30 days. I have one more question. But you know, what are your thoughts on my initial thoughts?
0: Yeah, I was thinking to myself, because the Trans-Pacific is on my cruise bucket list for some point, and so is Panama Canal. Those are the two big ones, I think, that I haven't done yet. Uh, Alaska was on there. I did that last year. Transatlantic was on there. I did that last year. And to your point, my transatlantic was 14 days. I thought that was a great length. Uh, it felt really nice. It didn't feel too long. It ended with several ports in Europe, which was nice. So I like that. 30 days would be a lot, but if I was retired, I would consider it. The other thing about this free offer is that it's only in an inside room and that's another sort of thing where if you were doing a week long cruise, it may be easier to deal with than 30 days. I think you would want to have a little bit more space or have a room where you could look outside and there's no option for even upgrading that based on the offer, but Free for 30 days, you're thinking about all your food. Obviously, you would pay port expenses, which I think were like 300 something dollars so not bad. And then you'll pay tips for every day, which are technically optional, but you should never remove the tips, so don't remove the tips. That's just my personal opinion. I think those are $17 a day. But yeah, it's a great deal if it was something you wanted to do. But to your point, Joe, when I finally do this and I have the time and I don't have the time right now, I would probably want to do a nicer ship and certainly not in an inside cabin, but for somebody who's just purely looking for a deal, and if you have these on your Carnival account, I like I said, I think these are widely sent out, these last-minute deals. Both Jasmine and I have them on our accounts. You know, check it out. And always sort of check back because every day they reload new cruises. So if you're somebody who has a little bit of flexibility and you can get going and you're sort of already in that Carnival casino stuff, you know, a lot of people that listen to the show did the match, got that first free cruise. And if you are, if you did play a little bit, you may have these offers. So keep an eye on those and it's always an opportunity and there's a lot of them. I've seen like their newest ships like Celebration and Mardi Gras on there. I've seen, you know, ships from the west coast, the east coast, from all the ports. They basically release tons of inventory, but it's always going to be within the next week to leave and that's sort of the the big kicker on that. Yeah. I mean,
1: now that you say that's inside, please don't do it. <laughs> that's like I was yeah. never going to
0: do it to be fair because I, I just know, don't I have know, a month to take off. But
1: I mean, if you're going to get an inside cabin, then you might as well. Don't like they sometimes sell berths on like container ships uh, to you know go across. Uh, you might as well you know go for that full experience. The other thing I was curious about is like I know some cruise lines they'll have quote unquote thirty day cruises, but you can also have people book seven day. Parts of it, like for example, the Japan portion to Brisbane or whatever, like you could just book that half. So I'm curious, does Carnival do that? And I think that's one thing just for people, if you're getting into cruising, to kind of keep an eye out for. Like sometimes they say that it's a 21 day cruise, but there's also a
0: seven day option, which is part of the same cruise overall. For this one, I do believe the Alaska portion is separate. So you could book that. I don't know if you can book the You know, the Asia portions to Australia separate. I haven't seen that part, but yeah, that's very kind of common. Even on back-to-back where they'll have a ship go two different itineraries rotating back-to-back. Sometimes they'll sell it as a 14-day cruise where they're really just two seven-day cruises put together. So, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And sometimes it's cheaper. Sometimes it's not, which is uh, something. I think the cash rate on an inside room for this cruise was like $3,600, somebody told me. So, uh, you know, it's a big discount. But I did meet somebody in Norway, an MTM Vegas viewer who actually recognized me, and we had a good conversation, which was fun. But he is sort of rolling these offers all the time, and him and his brother travel, and they each get them kind of similar to how Jasmine and I do, and they're totally cool staying in inside rooms so for example we did norway which was off the top of my head like 12 days i forget how long it was they were doing another one after that and another one after that so they were essentially doing more than 30 days in an inside room because in europe that ship was doing different itineraries every you know week so uh, for us we went to norway then they were doing baltic then it was going to the mediterranean so by doing back to back to back there taking the free offers they were staying in an inside room. They were perfectly happy with it. So I know that there's definitely people who can do that and who don't mind it at all. But yeah, I, I like to see the, I don't mind having an ocean view. Like some people want the balcony. I find I almost never use the balcony. Sometimes it depends on where you're at, but having that window out is good enough for me and I'm happy with that. So when I'm booking, that's sort of my happy medium. If I can get an ocean view view, I don't really care about if the balcony is a little bit more, I'll do that. But inside, I mean, I did it on Royal Caribbean earlier this year. It was the first time I did it for a while on a three-day cruise. I would never hesitate to do it inside on a short cruise because you're out and about, you only have a couple days to see the ship. You might as well just take the cheapest cabin and spend all your time outside. Yeah. For a short cruise, um, definitely. I think inside, especially on
1: like a three-day cruise, if you, If you are exploring the ship, you're not in your room, except for to sleep anyway. I do, like, I feel like balconies, it's always tricky in Alaska, because if you have it in Alaska and the weather is good, then I feel like, even though it's like a huge premium, like, I think, I feel like Alaska cruises are where they up the prices on the balconies for all cruise lines the most. But if the weather is, you know, and it's always raining in Alaska, but even if as long as it's not like raining into your face, like you're going to have amazing views and it's nice to sit out on the balcony. But if the weather's bad, then you're just going to totally regret um, having sprung that extra money for the balcony. So it's always like a, it's a real crapshoot for Alaska. Um, and so we were lucky when we did, um, we had a balcony and the weather was awesome um, for pretty much six out of the seven days. But you know, I, I feel like it's always a risk.
0: Yeah. In Alaska, if you can get a balcony and it's affordable to you and it works you're definitely gonna get great scenery. Uh, if you can't, you can go up to the deck. And like you said, the ga- the weather is a gamble. You brought up like container ships, Joe. It reminded me, back when we were backpacking in 2008, we had that double entry visa to China, meaning that we had to leave and come back. And my original plan for that was for us to take a container ship from, a cargo ship from China into Japan and then back. And the reason for that was back then, there was really no cheap flights between China and Japan. This is even in 2008, basically post-World War II, these countries hadn't gotten along and the aviation industry had very limited flights between the countries, so it was crazy expensive. Nowadays, you have budget carriers and the flights are very cheap to get between China and Japan. So what I ended up finally doing was finding a a really cool flight from Hong Kong to Los Angeles, because this was at the end of our trip, that had a free stopover in Tokyo and it was on American and it was like five hundred dollars one way and then I went to Mongolia instead. But I kind of regret not doing that. Would have been a cool experience and I mean with an eight year old traveling on a cargo ship across to Japan. But, you know, the things that we think about but don't do.
1: Well you're definitely like I, I think the regret there is you're definitely too old now. Um, no offense. And you know, when you were talking about the whole guaranteeing and exit seat and things like that, I really think that, you know, lifestyle life Cycle effects really do come into play because I used to gamble all the time with like, you know, getting the correct seats or my seat, you know, talking my way into this or that. But at first I used the excuse of having my kids to say that, like, I want to make sure I know what seats I'm going to have so that I just, it's just one less thing to stress out about. But I realize now that like, you know, I'm traveling solo a lot more again, I still want to know what seat I have. And that's just because I'm just at a point in my life where I just don't need that extra stress paying $40 or whatever for a seat assignment, even though it is a cash grab by the airlines and I don't want to deal with it. If the flight is over like three hours, I want to make sure that I kind of have a guarantee that things are going to be at least a little bit more comfortable.
0: I agree. And I think there's a lot that changes as you get older or more mature or you travel more. That reminds me like in 2014, early on in the days of Miles to Memories, I did a mileage run on American. I had a platinum challenge, so I was able to get platinum with one flight. But the key was the flight was to Asunción, Paraguay. And I flew down there and turned around and came back. It was all in coach. Now, luckily, the flight from my it was from here to Miami and then Miami to Asuncion. And uh, the flight down there, it wasn't selling well. So I had like a whole row in economy to myself. It was on an old 757. But that's a lot of flying to turn around and come right back and all solo. And it's just not something I would do today. And so it's interesting how you do change over time. And I agree, when I'm traveling solo, I do want to know where I'm going to sit. I do need an aisle seat. I'm six foot two the difference even between a window seat and an aisle seat for me being able to just stretch my legs out is huge. And why put myself through that if I can do it? And we've talked about cashing in points. There's ways to offset this stuff uh, with credits or with cashing in points so that you're not actually paying the cash. So you can do it that way if that's important to you. But yeah, I think a lot of people in this hobby and I feel like I started here, not just in this hobby, but just in life with deals and everything else, you're trying to maximize everything at the expense of lifestyle you know, benefit. And then you sort of, as you get older, learn to sort of spread that around and balance that out. And miles and points help with that. And yeah, it's crazy to see. I did other mileage runs too. And I just like shake my head at the thought of flying. I almost once flew to LaGuardia just to try the Centurion Lounge. Uh, it was a one day round trip flight and it was a connection in Dallas, which was bad enough. Dallas got delayed and so I basically went to the agent and said well I had a really quick meeting in New York and then I was going to fly back I'm going to miss that so can you just send me back to Vegas and give me me original routing credit for my original ticket so I got the miles for what I was going to fly and they did that for me but that's insane man who flies to LaGuardia from Las Vegas turns around the same day just to try out a Centurion Lounge of course this was in the days when you know there was only a few of them.
1: Yeah, I have only done one mileage run ever, and I don't even remember, like, I can't remember if it was like for mosaic or it was like a bonus 40 or 50,000 miles or whatever, but it was on JetBlue, and it was Boston to Nantucket. So, uh, you can take a ferry from Boston to Nantucket in an hour. So it was like a, I mean, I think we were in the air for like 20 minutes and I did, and, and, and still, you know, I was never a mileage run guy. And so still I was not willing to do that myself. I did it with Bob Dwyer from Milanomics. It was a really pleasant flight. You know, we sat down on the way together, we got out, we walked around on the tarmac in Nantucket for a little while. I think we had to exit and then come back through security. Like at the flight back left literally fifty minutes after we got there. And that's the only time I ever did a mileage run. And I'm I, I feel like when I was younger it might have been fun to do that mileage run stuff, but I, I just I couldn't even handle it then. I, I really could not be bothered with it now.
0: There is some camaraderie in that when I did that Paraguay flight, there was I think seven people on it doing a mileage run. Uh, of course, all the other people were executive platinum and they were just trying to requalify for status and I didn't have any status at that point, so they were all upgraded to first class or business class. I think they used uh, upgrades, and I was stuck in coach, but it they were all like nerdy people, and we were all talking about it and it's fun with the camaraderie of all that and you know it's insane for to have a group of seven people on a plane all flying around. You should have seen them in Paraguay. They didn't know what to do with us because we were all turning around. I also regret not staying there, but I just didn't have the time, and you know, so we just basically transited the airport right back. They had never really seen that, didn't know what was going on. Uh, it was a little bit of an ordeal, but yeah, fun times and you know, all the crazy things we get into uh, with travel. This week Joe this week Benji talked about lounges. He had an experience at the Hilton in Roanoke, Virginia or the DoubleTree there that made me remind that reminded me about how terrible lounges have become in the US. In this particular case, with his diamond status, he was given lounge access. He was also given his $30 food and beverage credit which you get uh, at US properties as a Hilton Diamond. But in the lounge, it basically says if you buy lounge access, we'll give you these vouchers for drinks and food and stuff like that, but We're not providing that in the lounge anymore. And basically, if you're a Diamond member, you're out of luck. That kind of upset me a little bit because isn't the perk of lounge access a perk of your status? So you should get whatever somebody pays for that. You should get the same thing. I get he was getting his $30 food and beverage credit. And then I talked this week with PDX Deals Guy. He was just up to Hyatt Regency Lake Washington and their lounge was one of the best in the country. I mean, the first time I stayed there several years ago, the lounge had a roast pork dinner. That was like phenomenal. I've never had such a good meal inside a US based lounge. And he unfortunately was saying that they cut way back. They're not really doing service. They are serving like an appetizer from the restaurant next door. And I wonder like, are these lounges ever gonna come back? Are we ever gonna get that? It's not like lounges in the US were ever great before, but it seems like they're like just gonna reopen the spaces, give us limited stuff. But if it's a benefit of your status, then you should get whatever somebody who pays for it gets.
1: Yeah, it's super confusing, actually. And just in case it's not clear, um, definitely read the article, but it's like, he just had access to a space. So it's just, you know, and all there is in the lounge is in the past, you would expect there at least to be some kind of crummy spread of food crackers or like bags of chips or something like that but there's nothing there and so you know i do agree with his line which is why does hilton even bother with the lounges like what's the point of even having it there if you're not gonna have? like because i don't know i guess some people like to have a change of scenery but if i am in my room like i'm just gonna work in my room i guess maybe if you have a roommate you want an executive lounge space, but it's it's t- basically a common area that only certain people can use. And actually, my other question is, why would anyone even pay for that, you know, if the ex- executive lounge floor? So it's, it's all pretty odd. And we've talked about before how, like, a lot of the Hyatt Regency lounges are never coming back. And I think this is just another one of those examples where I think in three, five years, yeah, most of these are going to be gone.
0: On one hand, like Hilton domestic lounges were always terrible. I don't know that I've ever been to a domestic Hilton lounge that didn't have the crappy, you know, crackers and two pieces of cheese and day old, you know, salami sitting out whatever that was. So it's not a huge loss there. I just feel like if you're going to offer the if you're going to sell it and offer it, then you need to give that benefit to your uh elite members. It's not a gift you're giving us. It's we've earned the status and and we should get it. I'm more sad about like the Hyatt Regency Lake Washington and examples like that of really good lounges that, you know, they're still trying to operate but not in the same way. You're not getting the same you know, benefit as you did. So it's just a downgraded quality. And that's unfortunately uh, what I'm more worried about. There's not much we can do, but yeah, Hilton should do better as far as providing the benefit. And to your point, why not just open that up to everybody else? I, I wonder what the upgrade charge was to pay for the executive level Cause most of these hotels, they'll have executive rooms, but they're the same rooms as a regular room. They're just on the same floor as the lounge. So there's no benefit there. In this case, they were giving some vouchers for food and drink. Is that worth more than the upgrade? I wonder, but it's changing demographics and it doesn't seem like even with business travel seemingly back that the economics are working or they've chosen not to do it. And I think largely they've been an afterthought anyway. So as long as we get nice international lounges Whenever I leave the country, I'll be fine. And Hilton does have some really nice lounges in Europe and really, really nice lounges in many other Asian properties. So as long as that's there, I'm, I'm good with, the, with it. And I do like the food and beverage credit. I did not like it when they first announced it. But now it's grown on me. gives me flexibility. I'm not a big breakfast eater usually. So then I kind of forced myself to eat breakfast. Now I can just use the credit throughout the day. So I've come around on that. I hope that actually stays long-term, do you think that at some point they'll get rid of it? Or you think it's just, it's here to stay? Cause it's still only in the U.S. Yeah, I, I think it's here to stay. It just feels like all
1: signs are pointing to that. And so, you know, it's just something, the game evolves and we're just going to
0: have to learn how to live with it. So speaking of evolving priority Pass is raising their fees. Devolving for... Sean. Okay. <laughs> Devolving. <laughs> Devolving. Uh, they're raising their fees again for access to lounges. So if you have a credit card that has priority pass access, you would Get that for free, depending on which card you get it for. You might just get it for yourself. You might be able to get guests. Some cards, allow, like the Sapphire uh, Reserve, allow you to get restaurants as well. American Express doesn't allow that. So there's different rules. But they all have a charge if you go over your limit per person. And I think it used to be $25 before COVID, if I remember right. It's $32 as of now, going up to $35 October 1st. I would say this is a huge deal, but then I've never once paid an extra guest fee at a Priority Pass lounge. In fact, I have so many Priority Passes uh, that I feel like I waste uh, opportunities all the time with them. But I just use the one that has two guests. There's three of us traveling and I haven't done it. But if you do pay a lot, it's going up even more. Yeah,
1: I don't think people typically will pay for this, especially with you know how Priority Pass gets handed out like candy. But it is, I'm always paranoid and i started labeling my cards with permanent marker to know which one is which but before i did that i was always paranoid that i would use the priority pass or like grab because i don't keep them in my wallet all the time so i was afraid that like in my last minute packing i would grab the wrong priority pass and i would get charged the guest fee without even knowing because i grabbed the wrong one which is why i started using permanent marker to write on the back of them in fact i don't even get the priority pass Like nowadays, if I get a new card, I don't get the priority pass from that. Like I don't sign up for it just so I don't have to deal with the extra cards. But I think that's just one thing to be aware of. You can say, oh, it doesn't matter that the guest fee goes up because I have the priority pass that includes guests. But you got to remember to bring that correct priority pass one. Although, can't you uh, pull it up on the app now? So, you know, uh, we've moved forward a little bit.
0: Yeah, we're we're old school in this hobby, Joe. So we're back to the days where they didn't have the app, and so I too use permanent marker on my on my priority passes. And I also do the same thing as you. I don't order extra priority passes card. I have one extra one, so I have two of them. But the CSR that's like my main one because that gives me restaurants, that gives me two guests. That's basically all I need. And I haven't even put it in the app. But I think yeah, you can get it in the app. It's probably a much better thing to do than to be relying on carrying the physical card around if you forget it. So, yeah, but it's going up and there are people I guess who have memberships that don't don't get free visits because they do sell those, but I don't think anybody listening to the show is in that in that category. Let's switch to credit cards real quick amex has some hilton no lifetime language offers which are good these are links that came out i'm not quite sure where they came from but we covered it on the site and you can find the links there we'll put a link in the description just as a reminder american express limits your bonus to once per lifetime on a card lifetime usually around seven years could be less depending but just data points there but even if you have had a hilton card the regular the Surpass card and then the No Annual Fee card both have no lifetime language links. Surpass 130 k after 2 k in spend. The No Annual Fee, 80 k after $1K in spend. So the spend requirements are pretty low on these. Surpass $95 annual fee if you want to do that one. What's really interesting over the years about these American Express Hilton cards is often you'll get offers to upgrade to a different product. I've done that with the No Annual Fee card. Obviously, you can spend for a free night with the Surpass card. Uh, 15k, so good value there. If you had the cards, check out the links. And uh, these are just direct links, that have nothing to do with paying us a commission or anything like that. Just passing them on because who doesn't need more Hilton points? Yeah, this
1: is actually pretty tempting. A lot of the reason is because of the no lifetime language stuff, which is feeling like it's gonna be increasingly tough at American Express, but not totally sure with their platinum announcements, which we covered a couple weeks ago. You know, who knows when that gravy train is gonna end. So I'm definitely tempted by these. And then of course, like you said, I would love to upgrade this to an Aspire and then get that diamond
0: status for those executive lounges that we just panned
1: two segments ago.
0: I'm still rocking my diamond status. Well, I guess I, no, I do have the, I do have the Aspire now again to get it back. But I was rocking that diamond status from the Aspire that I got in 19. I had it through 20, 21, 22. So it was nice to get like four years of diamond status through one credit card. And then of course I had to get it back uh, because they finally decided to take it away from people. Uh, But yeah, it's a good deal. And Hilton Points, I'm always using them. I find them to be a great second program for me. Marriott, I sort of see as my third program. That's sort of how I view it all. And I'm always happy to do Hilton Points And especially in Asia and all that. So we'll put a link in the description to the article. Just wanted to point those out. All that talk earlier, Joe, about travel and taking cargo ships and all that flying for mileage runs was just reminding me of like being afraid to fly, like how people in this hobby just do insane things that a lot of people would just, a lot of people are just afraid to get on an airplane or they just wanna like get from A to B. It's like a miserable experience for them. And then people like us are often you know, doing crazy things. And that reminds me of the scariest flight. I I wanna ask you about your scariest flight, but my scariest flight is really interesting only because it was a small boutique air flight from Las Vegas to Merced, California. And if you don't know boutique air they're a small airline they they fly these like six or eight seat planes and in the small airports and i had never been on a plane that small and coming out of las vegas you go over uh, over the mountains to get into california and i was flying with my brother my dad was actually sick this was like a last minute ticket this was our best way to get up there so a lot of stress and this plane just got thrown around like nothing i've ever seen and i remember like looking at my brother at one point and he knows i fly all the time my brother does not fly all the time and he saw so much fear in my face that he he's like aren't you like don't you fly all the time th-? well like what's going on with you i legitimately thought we were gonna die i mean it like it was like I, we're, you're in this very small plane very cramped and we were just getting thrown around so much pilot up there he's totally cool he's like this is completely normal we're all good And it lasted for about 20 minutes and i could not wait to get out of that coffin when i landed and uh, i I don't know that it scarred me for life but i don't love being on small planes i have since when i went to mosquito island a few years ago uh, i flew in a four-seater going from puerto rico uh, to tortola which beautiful low flying over the ocean no crazy choppiness or anything so maybe i've gotten over my fear you have any like crazy stories about turbulence i've seen some interesting videos lately and it feels so when you're on a plane that's like out of control like that, it feels you feel so helpless.
1: Well, I think that's the thing, right? And this is why you know I have a mild fear of flying, but it's it's about control because you know statistically I am in more danger when I am driving my own car, not impaired. Which uh, it is Labor Day as we're recording. Please uh, don't drive impaired, but. It just doesn't feel that way because I'm not the pilot, like I'm not the one um, behind the stick as it would be for planes. In terms of small planes, like I I was at a point where, I mean, I'm I've actively avoided the Maldives just to avoid that plane, mostly because I wouldn't go to the Maldives by myself and my wife would never want to go on a plane like that. One small exception though, is that, you know, we've been, we talked about Vancouver a few times in the last couple of weeks. Um, and then also Sydney, they both had a lot of seaplanes and I got to say, you know, it is on a nice day. It is so nice to watch the seaplanes taking off and landing. And I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe I'd go up in a seaplane, uh, one time. And then they don't go that high up. And then of course, if you're getting on a seaplane for like a, you know, 20 minute flight or whatever, and the The sky is like beautiful blue with the sun out. You know, you're not you're not too worried. So that is my thoughts on small planes. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, if I had been on that plane that you were on, I would probably never can never get on a flight again uh, with a small plane. Propeller planes in general are a little bit scary, but the our flight was probably the opposite experience to what you had. Um, We were flying back from Hong Kong in Cathay Pacific First Class. And uh, my wife, who just happens to be in here right now as we're recording, is still forever traumatized by this flight. I would say that on the 14-hour flight, at least seven or eight hours, the seatbelt sign was on. And we made the mistake. It's three three seats across in Cathay Pacific First Class. But it's like one row, one column of seats has its own aisle. And then the other two columns of seats, share an aisle. Well, we had two seats that were not across the aisle from each other. So we couldn't see each other the whole entire time. So I'm pretty sure, you know, even though it was bumpy, like I was relaxing. I was like, you know, it was one of the first times I was in first class. I think it was my first time in Cathay first. So I was like, oh, let me have some caviar. Yeah, it's a little bumpy, but, uh, you know, I just want to watch, you know, Hong Kong cinema and stuff like that. And then I just remember getting off the flight and my wife being like, that was like the worst flight I've ever been on. And to this day, she's like, "I, I don't need to go on Cathay Pacific first class ever again, which literally last week, Sean, you said was like one of your favorite products in the entire world, Right. But it's because, you know, the seatbelt sign was on and, and, you know, it was bumpy. And back then I was a little bit less, I'm even more sensitive to bumpy turbulence now, but it's just funny how these things scars. I will say for anyone, oh, Jess wants to contribute. Uh, I also want to add that I had not quite two-year-old on my lap almost the entire time while you were enjoying Hong Kong cinema.
0: Okay. Did you hear that? See, I'm glad we're getting the details of this story that you were leaving out. You stuck oh, her with the kid, the, well, la- the infant lap child, the entire. Okay, play.
1: okay. I didn't want to bring up the kid because I don't want people who are like haters of kids in first class to complain and stuff like that. I think we were the only ones in the cabin, by the way. Um, And she was totally fine. And now she happens to be standing next to me too. So uh, the whole family's here for the podcast. I will share though, in terms of fear of flying and stuff like that, I talked to Steve Creasy, who does the DCL podcast. So if you're into Disney Cruise Line, that's a great podcast to check out. He's a pilot for Alaska Airlines. And, you know, as a cruiser, Sean, you'll appreciate this. He explained to me Air is just waves that you can't see, but like the, you know, the physical movement, like the physics behind it is the same as waves in the ocean, right? And so a plane, when it's rocking, it's the same as if you're just in turbulent waves, like you're just moving up and down. But it's not like, you know, we never imagined that. I mean, except for unless you're like watching the perfect storm or something, you never imagine a gigantic wave just flipping your cruise ship over or something like that. And so he said, you know, and that actually really helped me. I actually asked him about it to see what I could share with Jess, and I think it helped her as well. Um, It helped me to visualize, you know, you can't see the waves in the air, but it's still the same concept. And like the planes are, you know, built to, you know, they they move up and down just like in rocky, bumpy wave weather on the ocean. But you know, they're still there to not
0: submerge or sink, uh, so so to speak. Yeah, I just tell myself, if I'm going to die, what can I do at this point? I'm already on this plane. And then I just try to think about something else. But you're, to your point, they're built for that. And that's you know the way that it's supposed to happen. Uh, we don't have a lot of data points of crashes from turbulence. Uh, th- it has happened, obviously, with p- Pilot Air, you know, that big Air France coming from Brazil to, to Europe years ago. But uh, it's so rare. And Flying is so safe that I just, you know, try to to focus on other things, but I thought Cathay Pacific guaranteed no turbulence in first class. I thought that was part of the ticket price. Unfortunately, I think they let everybody down there. I just feel like the peons should have to, to, you know, suffer in the back while the people up in the front drinking their champagne get, get that nice service and smooth ride, but I guess not terrible joke yeah
1: i mean do they know who we are right like they should just have that first class cabin hermetically sealed so that uh you know you don't experience any of the turbulence so um that reminds me since we did bring up my daughter and just to prove that i do sometimes uh, take care of the kids when we're in first class back when i don't know if you remember but like lufthansa 747 first classes had and like by the way we dropped to business dropped quote unquote to business class once we had our second kid just because like it's too crazy to do that many or it's hard it's impossible to even get redemptions for first class seats for like more than three typically oh and she was a lap infant that's why we didn't pay for her or we paid whatever you get you get it so it was a 747 and Lufthansa used to have the they had like a first class seat that was a recliner and then a bed next to it and I took care of our oldest daughter a lot on that trip, but I remember she was like freaking out at some point and the cabin was full and I felt bad. So I took her to the laboratory and I just stood in there with her for like 15 minutes until she calmed down. Uh, and I remember it being no, and I wasn't like holding her holding her, I had her like in a carrier, but I just, I just distinctly have that memory of that thing. And I have some funny pictures of her, you know, cause I was able to, you know, once she finally calmed down. I was able to sit in my seat and put her in that bed next to me. And so that was actually a pretty good deal. You know, that product no longer flies. But that's another memory I have of her in first class. She's the only one, I think, who's
0: flown in first class. So what a spoiled older child. I can imagine uh, if there was too much noise, all the dirty looks from the German businessmen uh, flying there. Like, it happened when we were flying Hong Kong to Amsterdam earlier this year. We had Ellie, and she's perfectly fine. She just loves to watch. She's really good on planes. She's not being crazy. People in front of us had a lap child and then, like, a four-year-old. Four-year-old fell in love with Ellie and was running around the plane with, you know, keep coming to Ellie and running around. And all the Dutch businessmen in the business class cabin on KLM were just just upset. But on the flip side, they were all being jerks because they were working all day, keeping the windows open. So they didn't allow anybody to sleep because there was sunlight in the cabin. So I feel like I don't know what's worse, letting your kid run around a plane or leaving a window open on a 13 hour flight the entire time so people can't actually close their eyes. So there's a special place in in hell for certain people and not the people who bring kids in first class. I think they should be there. You pay for the ticket. You do good. You know, kids are going to be good sometimes, bad other times. Just get over it. That's what noise canceling headphones are for, you know. I feel like everybody who's upset have Have you never taken a kid in on a plane? I've taken a kid on a plane, so if somebody else's kid is acting up, I'm like, well, I've done that. Maybe I'm not doing that right now, but uh, it's okay. And it's cool to be able to share that with your kids, man. Why? Why if, if you have the opportunity with po- points or it's miles also, or whatever, let's do it. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it's also very expensive, by the way, to take a lap infant in first class. It's like a thousand dollars because you pay. 10% of the cash fare or whatever. So um, last thing on this, if you, you know, actually whether you hate or don't mind kids on planes, it's like no one likes kids crying on planes, but it's just kind of fact of life. I recommend you go to YouTube and search, I think you should leave Will Forte. Um, there's a funny skit there that you can watch. I hopefully enjoy.
0: I feel like we gave people a lot to read and listen to and watch. So I think that's gonna do it for this show. Joe, where can people find you when they're not listening to this fine podcast?
1: Um, you can find me apologizing to my wife for oldest daughter on the Cathay Pacific first class fl- flight. So, uh, rightfully shamed. But you can also find me at As Joe Flies on social media and um, Joseph Chung at travelmation.net if you're looking
0: to book any trips. What about you, Sean? I'm at Miles to Memories all over social media, every platform, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere, Facebook as well. As a reminder, you can join the Diamond Lounge. The MTM Diamond Lounge has a few slots open. Patreon.com forward slash miles to memories. That gets you access to the Slack. We have the private content, several shows every month, meetups, all that good stuff. Patreon.com forward slash miles to memories. And then everything we do, milestomemories.com. You can find this podcast links. If you want to leave us a five-star review, we would definitely appreciate that. Apply for cards. We don't have ads. That helps to support the site, helps to support the show. Keep us going. If you are applying for a card with a public offer, we always want you to get the best possible offer, but you can definitely support us that way. But head to milestomemories.com for everything. Happy Labor Day, Joe, and everybody else. And thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.